Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Rich Equation. Uh, my name is Ashish Nathu, your host. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. So really quick, I wanted to, firstly, I wanted to say, make sure you're listening to our episodes on Fridays that we drop called The King's Table. We're circulating it on all of our four podcasts. It's a really great, real view of what's going on on a weekly basis in the world, in economics, in business, in our strategies. I have accumulated three or four really smart guys. So we're really enjoying this conversation. Hope you guys are too. And please give us feedback. Either you can send me an email at me at You can put something on Instagram or Facebook, but send us questions, send us comments, tell us what you're liking, what you're not liking. And on the Rich Equation platform, we're still going to be here at least once a week. We're trying to get a little bit more, but at least on Tuesdays, we'll keep dropping episodes here. And this week, I'm doing something a little bit different. I asked my audience to send in questions that I could potentially answer here. And so I have three questions that I'm going to process today and uh, give you a little bit of insight into my world, both in my uh, family life and also my business life. And so these are really three great questions. Um, So I thought I'd shoot these out and start talking about them. And if you have a question, I think I'm going to continue to do this. So if you have questions that you'd love me to answer or get into or understand my opinion, shoot them on my Instagram at Ashish Nathu. You can email me at me at AshishNathu.com and just try to get a hold of me. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. My information is pretty much everywhere. So send in a question, give us feedback, and let us know what you want us to answer. But I will do this maybe even once a month. If I get enough good quality questions, I'll put it together. And maybe you have your name on the podcast, questions calling out your name and all that kind of stuff. So let's just get into it. My first question comes from Miss Prietos from, I think this says San Diego, California. Growing up, always being an entrepreneur, what was your dream? And would you have had any other different career that you wanted to pursue? So this is the first question. Great question, Miss Prietos. Thank you so much for asking. So firstly, I grew up around entrepreneurship, and I think that this is really critical to what makes people successful in entrepreneurship. You have to almost have this perspective or you have to have this upbringing that you have these characteristics that are part of your lifestyle that make you not fit into the norm. So for example, I was raised in a very big Indian family. We collected uh, every single week. We had a bunch of uncles, kids, grandparents all together all the time, and all of them were entrepreneurs. So I never really was surrounded with people that that thought nine to five, that thought that their work and life was somehow separated, that everything was always integrated. My father was also a general contractor. He had run his business out of our home. So ever since I was a kid, we had a home office and he would work after he put us to sleep. He'd work all night. I'd see him work on the weekends. I'd see him work in the mornings. I'd see him work in the evenings. And you can judge that all you want. But what I learned about that is that there is no separation between personal life and work life. And that was just instilled in me. The second thing that was really clear when I grew up was In order for you to have something, you have to work hard. So it was really clear to me a work ethic. And in order for me to accomplish or 
build or have some material success, I had to be able to work hard for it. It wasn't just going to be given to me. So I was surrounded with people that had these principles, these values. And so I always felt like I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I got to tell you this story that when I was, I think in high school, I was on a bus talking to my dad and I was asking him about life and what I wanted to do and what I could accomplish in my life and what what business or industry I wanted to be in. And I was just having this conversation with him on, I don't know where we were traveling, but we were on some bus together. And I think this is the first time I'm talking about this, but he told me that, yeah, you just got to go get a job, you know, be in an office, get in a cubicle and just work and you'll be successful and you'll make money. And it's so funny that he said that. I don't think he really realized what he was saying. It's really interesting that he said it too, because that's not who he was. But the reason I share that story was that I had a visceral response in my body to that concept. My body, my mind shut down. That is that what life is about? Really for me just to sit in a hole or sit in a box and just do one task? My body resisted that in such a visceral way. So I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be out of the box. I wanted to do different things. I wanted to be creative. I, I wanted to be challenged and I wanted, I, I wanted to change the things that I'm doing often. And so entrepreneurship allows you to do that. And I don't know if I necessarily had a dream. I think, you know, in different stages of your life, you're having, you dream different things. Nobody ever invents anything. They always are able to see what's around them to then manifest what they can put together coherently. And so, you know, what is my dream is, is really just to, I've always thought about this idea of being rich is like living the most rich, colorful life physically possible, which comes from this like youthful, creative space that uh, I really have always kind of lived in that energy. So I love being an entrepreneur. It is scary as hell sometimes, but I will take the bad days any day for the good days. It's not for everybody. It's really a quite challenging life and not everyone understands it. So you can often feel isolated or by yourself. It, it can feel lonely, although it is not lonely. Um, you have communities like this at the Ridge Equation or 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 there's a, many other communities of entrepreneurs. So it's not necessarily lonely, but it can feel that way. So that's, I uh, hope I answered your question, Ms. Prietos. Thank you so much. The next question is, is that as an Indian who was born and raised in America, what parenting style will you lean mostly when raising your girls? Is it going to be a more traditional Indian parenting style or more of an American influence? Well, this is a really great question. You know, I feel like I'm a little bit of an old soul, very traditional guy. And when I mean traditional, I mean not necessarily religious or or things like that, but much more culturally traditional, respect, honor, tradition, family, values, things like that. I'm not saying that's more Indian or American. I'm just saying that's kind of the values that I grew up with. I really give that credit to my mom. Both my parents were born in Africa, went around the world, came to the US and got married here. So they, I'm the first born generation in America. But one of the things that my mom not only did intentionally, but just who she was is she was a very faith-based, culture-based tradition-based woman. And I give her a lot of respect and I honor her for sort of who she is. And, and she does it very naturally. If anyone knows my mom, she does it very naturally. And so 
I saw that growing up. I loved it. I lo- the culture of India is incredibly colorful and vibrant, and it is a lot about family and respect and community. And I saw those traditions and and the value of those things growing up. And so I really want my kids to be able to feel that. The interesting thing is that as you know, I'm first born an American, as we stay in America longer and as our generations kind of mature in in more of a Western society, those traditions are starting to become less and less. And I, I think me and my family and our, our circle of family is really trying to hold on to as of that as much as we can, but it's becoming more and more challenging because there's just natural distractions. There's also a fundamental thing about you know, dependency and wealth and success and and um, and just the scarcity that you used to have 20, 30, 40 years ago when our parents or our grandparents came to America where they needed each other, they needed to depend on each other. That scarcity starts to go away because people are more successful. They can get jobs. They're more educated. The dependency on community becomes slowly less. And so the cultural dynamics start to evaporate a little bit. And so my wife, God bless her, incredibly same values as my mom, incredibly traditional, really religious, uh, very faith-based. I won't say she's religious, but very faith-based, very spiritual, very grounded in the simplicity of our culture and and those values. And so I think that if it wasn't for my wife, it would be really easy for me to lean on an American system. And I think I probably want more of a 50-50, but I think there's things about our culture that are so important. And in everyone's culture, what are those important values and those cultural benefits that you can instill in your kids that they will keep forever? And there is also beautiful cultural benefits of American systems as well. Specifically, I think in America, you know, the education priority is not as much as our Indian or Asian cultures are, but the vibrance of, you know, doing different things, extracurriculars, activities, sports. I think it exercises a part of our nature, our mind, our brain, our body that I really do admire that. So I want my kids to do all kinds of different things. I want them to explore different things. I don't want them to quit. So I want I want them to be able to explore different things in a very American way, but never quit and to stay to certain things, I think, in a very cultural way. And I think this is true with whether you're, you know, Indian or American or Chinese or Vietnamese or Korean or you name it. Apologize if I left out your culture, but like any culture in the world, I think it's really, really important to think about the traditions and the culture that you're coming from and be intentional about spending that into your kids. Both of my kids are in uh, Gujarati class, which is our language. They do that every single week. We really try to celebrate all the main uh, holidays every single year with them and make it a thing, make it a celebratory thing, put the costumes on, go to a place, go to the temple, do those types of things so that they're instilling those memories into their brains super early on in their life. So I mean, we can't help to not raise them as Americans. We live in America. They, for all intents and purposes, are American. And they'll grow up in a very different world and a different society than I did. So, you know, trying to keep them around grandparents, great-grandparents, 
you know, my kids have great grandparents still alive. So trying to keep them around those, that loving nature, that the traditional nature is super important too, because grandparents will always be able to instill some of those traditional values in your kids. And I think that's super, super important. So keep them close to your parents, close to the grandparents, close to the great grandparents. And if you don't have those people, then keep them close to within your community at least once a week. So I think that's super, super important. And I give all of that credit to my wife. She's absolutely amazing at this. I don't think it's a lot of effort for her. She does it effortlessly. It's just who she is. And if it's not necessarily effortless for you, then just put a little bit of intention to it. You know, Saturdays in the mornings, guys, we're always going to do a cultural event. We're going to get together with family. And so those things are super, super important. Third question. I love this question. Uh, this is a business-related question. The, the person asking is says, as a CEO, you seem to have a great relationship with your team. What incident or scenario will make you visibly frustrated and angry with your team? I love this question. And for you as a boss, what makes a good employee? Okay, so firstly, I do have a great relationship with my team. I feel like it really is a really great family that we've built. I have relationships with all my employees and all my team members across the world. And I really am a relationship type of guy. So I really do value people's trust. And if I give them trust and I ask for their trust in return, you know, I think that's a really sacred, special thing. I definitely get frustrated. I definitely get angry. I can get definitely get short. If you ask anyone from my close circle, they would say that I am not the easiest guy to work with, but they understand where I'm coming from. And one of the things that I really believe in is that being open and being vulnerable and being clear as a leader is super important in in your ability to sometimes get frustrated and angry. And what I mean by that is it's not necessarily an excuse that just because you're a leader, you have the right to get angry or frustrated. But if people understand who you are, what makes you tick, why you behave the way you behave, why you're driven, what's driving you, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your values? Where do you see yourself going? And hold those same standards for your team. Then it creates a more human connection that allows you to understand that if I'm frustrated, if I'm angry, it's the human part of me that's angry. And I'm not necessarily taking it out at you or I'm not yelling at you. It's maybe near you. And I think that's okay. I'm not giving permission to be immature, and I can be that way too. Many leaders can be. But I think it's really important to understand this from a place of building relationship capital that allows you to have honest, sincere fights, frustrations from both sides in a safe environment. And I think that is proven in the longevity of a lot of my key leaders. We have really close business and personal relationships. We have very little turnover uh, at core positions in our business because of this. And we're able to tell each other the truth. And sometimes the truth is not pleasant and sweet and kind. Sometimes it comes off in a frustrated, angry, disappointed place, just like family. So I, I think I talk about that a lot with within our culture, within our team, is that you know, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your coworkers. But just because you can pick your coworkers doesn't mean you have to always just fire or hire. 
you have to fight with your fam- with your coworkers the same way you would have to fight with your family. It's the same thing. If something's going wrong at home, you don't just let it happen forever and ever because it just creates wounds. And so you have to fight for what you believe in. You have to fight for for people's respect and trust and you have to reciprocate that. And so, um, but I do get frustrated. And I do get angry specifically when people don't own their responsibility and they're avoiding. And I think that's probably the, the thing that most triggers me. And I'd say the second thing that triggers me the most is when other people blame other people um, for what either they should own or just a, it's a convenient way for blaming somebody else. And so I think that's, that's probably my no goes is when some, in my companies, nobody ever comes to me to complain about somebody else. But if my staff or my teams do that to each other, or I hear about it, it's probably the one thing where you lose my respect or you lose um, credibility within the company. And one of our biggest values is to own it, take responsibility, be accountable. And that goes for me too. And, And my team is not shy in holding up the mirror to tell me, hey, dude, step into your leadership. We need you right now. So and, and we have we have a fine-tuned relationship and it's it's a beautiful thing. But it's okay to get angry. It's okay to get frustrated, but you got to create a safe space for your teams to do that. Um, and what makes a good em- employee? You know, I think firstly, not thinking like you're an employee. I have a staff member that says, if you're ever, you know, he says this to the rest of our team is that if you're ever afraid of being fired, you're already you're already behind. You should understand that you're providing so much value to your company, to your team, to your owners or bosses or your your equity or whatever it is, that you should not be afraid. I know this is kind of a scary thing to think about, but you should not be afraid of being fired. If you are afraid of being fired, that means you're not providing enough value. Part of leadership is to get people to get that, create space for people to do as much as they possibly can to create enough value where they don't even understand, wow, I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. But as a good employee, I think coming from an ownership mindset, owning it, taking full responsibility, doing the best you can, I think is all we can ask of ourselves, whether you're an employee or an owner or whatever. And really understanding it from a human perspective, I think is super clear. So I hope that answered your question. There you go, guys. That was a kind of a short episode. Three simple questions. Keep sending them in. I love answering this. This is super fun. It also gives me a way to think about, like, just reflect on stuff. So keep sending in your questions. Find me on Instagram. We're really trying to do more on all the social media platforms. But for now, we're really active on Instagram. Please email me if you have any questions. Leave us a review and make sure, remember, there's a cost of listening to the episode that uh, you have to share it with somebody that may get benefit from it. Nothing is free in this world. So please share it. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Rich Equation with Ashish Nathu, your host. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out. Love you guys. See you next time. If you enjoy this podcast or find it valuable in any way, you have a duty to share it with someone else who may need to hear this message or can get value from this content. And remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so we can continue to bring massive value to you. And go to our website, therichequationpodcast.com to be added to our mailing list for special access and content. Thank you for listening to The Rich Equation Podcast with Ashish Nathu. 
Do you want more ideas on how to live rich? Go to richequationpodcast.com for show notes and resources. Then take one minute to leave Ashish a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you on the next episode.